Hello and welcome to Storal Stories, LCF's object-based podcast, in which I, Susanna Cordner, invite in a leading figure who works in or with fashion and ask them to bring in an item from their work or from their wardrobe. That object choice then forms a part of our conversation. We are recording this episode remotely during lockdown, so if there's any changes in sound quality, please bear with us. But I'm very excited to introduce our guest. Today I'm joined by beauty editor and author, Fadmi Feto. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. As I said there in the brief introduction, I try to invite in figures who work in or with fashion and come at it from very different perspectives. So I find the best place to start is to ask people to outline their role, what it entails. So I... I'm a journalist. I'm a beauty journalist at the moment, but actually I write across the board. I started out as a fashion journalist and I moved into beauty. So I'm a contributing editor for British Vogue and I also oversee all beauty content at The Observer magazine. So that, in a nutshell, is what I do at the moment. So you're, I, we're going to talk more about social observation, the kind of wider range of your writing later. But I like the idea that you come at this as journalist first, beauty journalist second. How did you? How did that evolution take place? Was moving into beauty accidental, or uh, or, or something that kind of you cultivated over time in your career? You know, it was um, it was accidental in many ways. Well, I when I say accidental, I think it's more that. I'd never thought about going into beauty journalism. I mean, I hadn't even initially, you know, I, I studied finance. I didn't study journalism. I studied finance and I worked um, within sort of financial management and sort of, you know, blue chip companies for a, a few years after graduating and sort of realised that actually this is not what I really want to do. But I'd always loved magazines, always loved fashion. And um, I just knew that I wanted to be within you know a sort of publishing setting and so I left my job and I started a um, internship at Elle and I was in the fashion cupboard for for months and then (laughs) went on to you know lots of other different publications after that still focusing on fashion and still hadn't quite decided whether I wanted to style or whether I wanted to write or do a mixture of both. And I, you know, and I did a mixture of both. But beauty was something that it just never really spoke to me. And the reason why wasn't because I didn't engage with beauty. I'd always loved beauty. And I had a mother who was really into beauty. I mean, she had millions of lipsticks and, you know, hair products and skincare products and, you know, all of that and perfumes and so on. So I grew up around that. So, you know, it wasn't alien to me in that sense, but I felt that beauty in the context of the media and, uh, you know, what I could see and what was available didn't actually speak to me. And so it never really occurred to me to, um, go into beauty it it just didn't really fit because I felt well there's nothing here for me and I remember very specifically actually at um when I was at Al and you know you'd always make friends with the interns and all the other desks you know on all of the other desks so whether it's beauty or features or the art desk or so on you know all the interns will sort of get to know each other and I remember sort of hanging out with the beauty um intern when she was organizing a beauty cell and you know I was sort of kind of fascinated by you know all these pots of creams and you know different bits of makeup and so on and so forth and I just remember trying quite a few things and they were so 
completely not made for my skin tone and it just right. put me off. So I, you know, I just didn't even imagine that I would be here, you know, as a journalist um, many, many years later. Oh, that's fascinating. And I can't wait to hear more about the evolution from that point of really clear disjuncture, uh, which is completely understandable. It's interesting that you said you're not alienated from the subject of beauty and the experience of it because of seeing that example from your mother. But then actually within your profession, there was this clear distinction. I was kind of fascinated by what you said about making this really brave move of to yeah. change from finance into fashion but at the same time you didn't know exactly what portion of the industry you wanted to go into yet so was it instinctual that fashion was was the home for you and the career would follow from there or you know how, how did you how did you find the bravery really to make that leap that was sector specific rather than role specific you know I think it was it, I don't know if I would say it was brave. I, I always say it was a little bit mad. I've always been a risk taker in my life. I've always been a risk taker with my career. And I think I've always had in my mind, if I can imagine that I'm 60 and I'm looking back and I'm regretful of things I didn't do, then I have to do this. So mm. that was always on my mind. That was always how I saw things. I just thought, well, if I don't take this opportunity or if I don't make this opportunity or create this opportunity for myself, will I regret it um, in decades to come? And also I always, my motto is always, what's the worst that could happen? You know, what's the worst that can happen? So I leave a good job and, you know, I go into this industry and it doesn't work out you know at that point I was a part qualified accountant I mean a really really bad one but you know I knew fundamentally you know accountants for the most part don't tend to be um out of work for very long you know there's you know I guess I I don't know if things have changed now but certainly at that point so I thought well worst case scenario I could go back but in my heart I knew I never wanted to go back and I was just so determined to make it work so you had that backbone um, of an alternative career, but you were clear, clear cut on the progression yeah, ahead. Absolutely. How did that relationship with beauty as as a part of your profession profession and a part of your journalistic perspective um, develop? Well, you know, it was many years after that that I started actually writing about beauty. And I think it was for two reasons. I think it got to a point where I actually felt irritated by the fact that you know there were tons of beauty pages in in magazines and I'd always have to skip them because they, I never saw myself there and I, I was never spoken to on those pages and and nothing featured there was for me and you know after years of sort of ignoring it and accepting it I think I became quite a little bit irritated by it and I thought no actually this isn't correct you know we need to be speaking to absolutely everybody and so I think that fueled my desire to write about beauty I remember when cult beauty you know the the website um, yeah. um, Alexis Ng when they were launching or just before launch and you know and I said to Alexis oh you know I'd love to do you know some sort of you know blog on your site you know, just talking about beauty for women of colour. And she was like, yeah, why not? And I just love that about her. She didn't think there was anything odd about it. Whereas, you know, lots of other editors at that point you'd speak to about it would always 
find some excuse as to why they couldn't feature um, products and mm. models and, you know, advice for women with, you know, darker skins. So it was quite, I don't want to use the word brave, but it was quite sort of progressive in many ways, actually, um, for Lex to actually think, yeah, why not? Let's do this because nobody else was doing it. So, um, so yeah, so it was, it, it was, it was fostered by a sort of <laughs> irritation in many ways that so many needs were just not being met. And, and also I think for me, I'd found for a very long time, you know, beauty had been written in this very inane sort of way that I just didn't really understand. I just thought just because it's beauty doesn't mean that we have to write it like we're writing for, you know, um, silly little girls who play with their makeup, you know, when they've got nothing better to do, you know, that sort of thing. It was just so, so patronizing. And, um, and there was rarely ever any sort of depth or maybe humor or, or wit or kind of any sort of comment, social commentary sort of riddled through it. And I just thought, well, you know, beauty c can be interesting also, but you can't, you can't write about it in a vacuum, you know, you have no. to write about it in the context of everything else that's going on around you. Otherwise, it's so super dull, you know, um, like anything else, you know. So I think I kind of wanted to change that. I wanted to write about beauty in a different way. And I wanted to write about beauty in a way that also showcases the importance of voice and also the importance of being able to write about any subject matter in a way that hopefully is of interest to anybody reading it, even if they, they don't have a personal relationship with the subject matter at hand. Your work, I find it's really sort of interactive. It's about placing it in context and, and building a culture around it. I, I find that definitely as fashion historians, so I was nodding away as you were talking, the idea that um, a subject can be seen as, as um, frivolous or silly, yeah. when yeah. really it's about basic uh, interactions of self and community. And also you can tell stories of ecology and technology and mm -hmm. trade and, and, and yeah, you really build around it. Yeah. I was really interested with what you said about the kind of gatekeepers or the different resistance um, that you met around it as well. And I think it's really um, strong and important to name name the particulars of people who who uh, behaved otherwise particularly yeah. as in doing so you're writing a social wrong but you're also doing something quite savvy commercially I would imagine because absolutely. you're acknowledging another market oh, absolutely absolutely and, and even now you know when I speak to a lot of uh, brands or give any talks about you know the whole idea around you know having products and and marketing to a wider range of women and you know all types of women I think you know I say to them if nothing else it's commercially savvy you know mm. you think about it in that way so yeah yeah whatever whatever argument you need to make to prove it yeah, yeah it's really really important yeah, that's what they're interested in they're interested in the bottom line uh, so you know and I so I always say that I say if nothing else you know um, it, it makes business sense
do it for the right reasons and the commercial reasons. Yeah. Within that, you spoke also about the idea of social commentary, and that's something that I personally really enjoy in your work, um, both in your brilliant book, Palette, the Must-Have Beauty Bible for Women of Colour, which I'm going to talk more about later, uh, but also in your um, your articles. I really like the way that you pair um, a trend or topic or product pictures with either a personal perspective or story or something that chimes with the moment. Can you go about determining what topics or observations you to cover? I think it's a combination of both. I mean, for me, fundamentally, when I think about something I want to write about, first and foremost, it's quite selfish. It has to be something that interests me. (laughs) (laughs) I have to be curious about it. So when I say interests me, it's quite different from being necessarily relevant to me or for me but it has to be interesting to me. So it might be something that other people are talking about or, you know, there's a conversation around something and I'm curious about that thing. Why are people talking about it? Why is it of interest? Why should we know about it? You know, so first and foremost, it has to pique my interest. I think it's more about that. And so I love I love the... the um, the big moments that you can find in small everyday moments. I find that fascinating. I find mundane things fascinating, actually. Um, I do think that there's a lot of magic in the mundane. So I, I do like to incorporate some of those mundane everyday things that sometimes we take for granted, but it takes someone else to sort of point them out for someone else to have, you know, that sort of light bulb moment, like, yeah, actually, yes. I relate to that too. It's a very, it's such a basic thing. So, you know, I love incorporating those elements and those kind of um, observations, I guess, in in, in my work. I mean, sometimes they're just very subtle and very, very basic, but it's just a way that I, I like to write. But yes, fundamentally, it has to just be something. If it's, you know, if I'm thinking about a product or if it's an observation about something, I have to be interested in it. And I've probably spent more time than, you know, is required just thinking about something really, really basic. Keep using basic as though it's a derogatory term. I think what you're describing is a re-evaluation and re yeah, revaluing really of the everyday uh, and a reprioritization. I can imagine that creates great connection or community with your readers. It doesn't feel like a pitch. It doesn't feel like a sell. It's about that relationship or relationship to the individual, but also to their routine, perhaps. Um, yeah. And then I, I, I mean, one of the things I always say, and you know, and I, and I probably bore myself saying it, but I do think that you know people respond to authenticity. I think that's really important, and that's always really important in my work like whatever it is that I'm writing about I have to be authentic about it so if there's a product I'm talking about you know even if someone doesn't agree with me that this is a great product or they didn't like it and I do think you know beauty is completely subjective anyway um but it 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 has to be authentic to me you know it has to be something that I really believe in and I'd, I'd like to be able to sort of translate that to um whoever sort of reading it whether you're yeah. 
with me or not you know yeah sick and I think it relates to your earlier comments around the idea of voice which is something I found I particularly enjoyed about your book I was kind of surprised and touched and and caught by how your descriptions of each product within the book you open with a kind of personal observation or a connection to an anecdote or experience but then you work on uh, into more deep exploration I, I was really uh, touched or kind of intrigued by the personal exposure that you offer in some of those examples um, and also that kind of conversational element perhaps that that potentially builds with your reader was that something you were consciously developing while writing the book uh yes it was conscious but when I guess when someone says that something's conscious then it it feels like it was um that it doesn't feel real but it was real to me I mean I I it was conscious but there wasn't any other way that I could have written this book because you know when people ask me about this book they say oh you know have you always wanted to write a beauty book and the truth is I've never wanted to write a beauty book I've had no in writing a beauty book because with everything else that I do if I'm doing it it's because I want to say something there was no way that I could just write it because I just want to feature lots of different products and talk about skincare and so on I it it had to be saying something so for me I had to think about what do I want to say and how do I want to say it because if I'm just writing about products then it may as well just be you know, you may as well just get the, you know, the inner card of any product and just read out ingredients and read what it says on there and print that. So yeah. it's really important for me to bring in sort of, you know, personal um, experiences and my context of these, of a lot of these products and try to be as honest as possible, but also just try to engage people in a different way and, and talk about beauty in a different way in a way that I haven't necessarily seen spoken about um, as often. The, the reasons for the book are twofold. So the first thing it was driven by were, um, I just noticed there were a lot of women of color who would always approach me about um, skincare advice or you know product recommendations. And and I've repeated this story quite a few times, but you know, I've had women you know, stop me whether on public transport, in the street, um, DM me, um, you know, email me, you know, women, you know, women that I don't know, I don't know these mm. personally. And then, you know, and other women who maybe are family members or friends of friends or, you know, um, at lots of different events, even women within the industry, a lot of, you know, women of colour that work in fashion that don't necessarily engage with beauty and they need help with certain things and so on you know would come to me and sort of ask me for recommendations at events or dinners and things like that we'd end up talking about is coconut oil great for afro hair you know and things like that and um I just kind of thought wow this is saying something obviously these women do not feel that their needs are met by mainstream media they're not speaking to them enough or in the right way and so I, I felt that I wanted to do something about that I needed to have these women's voices be heard and for them to be able to engage with some form of beauty that's speaking you know directly to them and no longer sort of makes them feel they're not important or they're invisible so that was one 
And then the second thing that I wanted to address, I did want to address the issues of um, the lack of inclusivity within the beauty industry and um, and speak to the brands. Um, it was a message to the brands. It was a message to, you know, the gatekeepers, the people making all the decisions within the big beauty brands or the small beauty brands or whoever. And it was a message to them that, you know, there's a, there's a whole other market out here. There are other women out here that do need to be included in the conversation around beauty. And it was important for them to, for me to to send this message out for them to acknowledge it and hopefully for them to think to themselves, right, we need to start operating differently. Absolutely. So the reception to the book has, has been fantastic. It's been widely celebrated and great success and congratulations on that and rightly so. How have the brands taken it? I mean, a lot of brands have been pretty good, actually. Um, quite a few brands said, you know, we've bought um, a lot of copies of your book and we've um, handed it out to lots of people within, you know, the business and, we, you know, we're having conversations about certain things. Thank you. So, you know, it's been really, it's been really positive. I have found that a lot of brands get in contact with me to consult for them and they're asking you know, questions concerning how to engage with, um, you know, women of colour in terms of, you know, their beauty needs, their skincare needs, their makeup needs and, and so on. And what are the conversations they're having and what's lacking within the um, the industry and maybe product ranges and so on and so forth. So it's been it's been pretty incredible. I mean, people have been really, really open, I think. They've been really open. And I do think there are a lot of changes that have been made we're in in quite a good place at the moment. My only concern, I guess, or my the main concern is, is this just a moment or will we find this continues? And I hope it does continue. I think it, it remains to be seen if it does. But that's a question that comes up in my mind. And, and a lot of people have posed to me as well and said, you know, do you think that this is just a trend right now? And um, the beauty industry is just right ride in a particular way because you know this is what everyone should be doing right now so they're just doing it you know to sort of save face and then once the moment passes then they'll sort of move on and they won't be as inclusive but I'm hoping not mm -hmm. I'm hoping that they'll see that you know it's it's bigger than just saying right I'll have 50 shades of foundation or I'll have 60 shades of foundation in my range it's you know it's about equality it's a it's really a bigger issue than just makeup in and of itself it's about treating people equally that's essentially what it boils down to absolutely perhaps from here we could talk about your object yeah. within the series as I explained in the introduction I ask my guests to bring in an item from their work or from their wardrobe and, mm -hmm. and then we discuss that item okay so the piece I've chosen is a very very special piece um it's uh, I'm picking it up now so maybe you can hear some rustling so I apologize for that but it's right. a, authentic <laughs> it's Nash neck um almost sort of very, very low back, long sleeve, heavily sequined vintage YSL, if Saint Laurent dress. I think it's a 1960s piece. And um, why have I chosen it? Well, I've chosen it because I think it was the first item, and I bought this, goodness me, I'm sure it must be at least... 
15 years ago now. Mm. I bought it at a vintage fair um, many years ago. And I have chosen this because I feel that once I bought this piece, like I described, it's a slash neck long sleeve. I felt that I found the shape that suits me. And Mm -hmm. I'm looking for an ideal dress. That is the neckline that I choose. And it sounds like a really small thing, but so much of my wardrobe has this neckline. And I think it started from this dress. So that was one of the reasons why I chose it. Another reason why I chose it, I feel that it really represents me in the sense that it is quite a dressy dress. And I love to dress up. I think I think it's important to dress up. You know, when normcore, you know, normcore was mm. all the rage, honestly, I could have taken to my bed. It, <laughs> it was, so why is no one dressing up anymore? I just think that quite, I found it impressive and I found, but I also found it quite intriguing because I think that dressing up doesn't necessarily have to equate to, you know, bow feathers and um, feather bows and, and, um, you know, sequins and glitz and so on. It doesn't have to be that, but it's just that something that sort of elevates one's look or, you know, just that something that elevates the everyday. So for me, this is at the other extreme of the spectrum of my dressing up, but I love to dress up and this dress is a really you know, it's a real dress up dress. It's quite a fabulous dress. And then the third reason is because I also think this is a dancing dress and I love to dance. And this <laughs> is a real dancing dress. So in so many ways, I think it just represents my, you know, it represents my personality, I think, and um, and my love for fashion as well. Oh, fantastic that's such a brilliant choice thank you and I love the level of thought that went into it I'm gonna kind of try and answer or pull out some threads from those yeah. different strands that you described first of all just briefly I'm a vintage obsessive so I'm interested in that do you wear a lot of vintage you know I wrote a book on vintage fashion many years ago and again you know it was I wrote it because I was being completely selfish I I love, <laughs> love vintage fashion and um and I traveled you know, all over the States and in parts of Europe and all over, you know, um, the UK, just seeking out lots of vintage um, stores and and speaking to lots of dealers and so on and so forth. So I'm like you, I'm a vintage obsessive. However, I feel like I've lost that in the last few years. I don't know. I I think I got to the point where, and this is going to sound so awful, but I got to the point where I just looked at my wardrobe and I thought, I'm tired of everything being so old. I felt like I needed a palate cleanser. You know, I've been wearing vintage for so long, so long. I mean, I was, you know, I I remember my first piece of vintage was um, my mother bought me this piece. I mean, I used to wear a lot of my mother's old things from, you know, the 70s and so on. I'd wear it to school and look completely crazy, but, you know, whatever. (laughs) But, you know, I remember she bought me we had this guy who would sell lots of secondhand things you know everyone calls it vintage now but you know back then it was just secondhand clothes you know and it was the ultimate navy trench um 
and it just fitted me like a glove. And I remember wearing it to school with some platforms that we'd also got from him. And I remember wearing those to the adventure playground and climbing climbing frame. That is such a great mental image. <laughs> and this trench coats and towering over everyone and climbing over them. And on the day that I did that, I'd worn them before to school. And the day I did that and did the whole climbing frame with them and they broke and I was absolutely oh. devastated. Absolutely devastated. But, you know, I've always loved um, vintage because I love the stories that these clothes tell. I just, there's nothing like them, you know. You know, in comparison, you know, a lot of the, you know, new things, I mean, they're just completely soulless. It's the stories they tell and also for the special pieces, the craftsmanship that goes into it. And, you know, you find those sort of special pieces um, within vintage. And I feel recently, I think I... You know, in recent sort of years, I feel like I lost that. And, you know, this time of lockdown, what's been really interesting is, you know, you've had more time to think and consider yourself and consider who you are. And, and you know, and that sounds really deep, but I think I think it's true of many people. I think it's made people start to evaluate and reevaluate, you know, who they are and, and um you know, what they stand for, what they represent and what image they're portraying of themselves and, and whether that's true to themselves. And I've been looking at that and I've been thinking a lot more about my vintage pieces and and wanting to kind of revisit that actually. Mm, that's really curious. It also in, in turn relates to the first kind of descriptive reason you gave for your object choice was this idea of the dress being the first or the, the setting standard of a style that suits you mm. and the idea that it's perhaps a blueprint for your wardrobe. Um, and I liked that idea that the repetition of fit and feel um, has been important from there. What, what do you think the psychology of that is about? I was wondering when you're talking about that move away from vintage as well, perhaps there's something about efficiency. Perhaps, but I, I think also, I think it's about where you are in your life in different different points. And I think, you know, your um you you know, your clothes tell stories, don't they? They mm. tell stories about where you are in your life and you know, and I, I think I was exploring a lot in terms of fashion and I was also trying to find myself actually within fashion but I'd always sort of experimented and that was that was always me I'd always experimented with certain things you know I would wear you know cocktail hats with jeans for instance (laughs) cocktail hats you know all you know vintage vintage um, cocktail hats all falling apart of course but (laughs) wear them you know with you know the sort of face netting and so on and you know I'd wear that with you know velvet something or another or whatever and that was like every day for me and I think sometimes you come to a point where you you want to pare back you want to pare back you want to simplify and a lot of my vintage pieces were not really they weren't really pieces that you sort of pared back in not that they were hugely elaborate actually I say they weren't hugely elaborate and one comes to mind and I've got this sort of it's this sort of one shoulder sort of it's more of a sort of early 80s dress actually and it's a ruffled sort of silk chiffon bright red thing and honestly when I wear it I look like a cake a tiered wedding cake I mean (laughs) over the top but it's quite fabulous and quite amazing um (laughs) 
So I think there are, there were a lot of, you know, it's all part of that whole thing of just dressing up and, and, you know, it being sort of fun. And I think there was a point at which I sort of, I wanted to just pare it back and maybe, I don't know, I haven't thought about this so deeply and I, I'm wondering whether it ties in with a particular moment in my life where I needed to pair other things back as well. Um, I do find that my wardrobe it follows a certain kind of pattern whereby, uh, you know, it's it, it's not the sort of, it, it's, not the sort of thing that is necessarily consistent over decades. It has a point where it it gets to, and then it has a real sort of step change. And it, mm-hmm. it that maybe that was the the turning point for me. Maybe it was mimicking something else that was happening in my life at that point. Oh, that really resonates the idea that it could be a reflection um, of a wider mood or, or a need or requirement because of that really clear emotional relationship you you obviously have to your clothes. Yeah. I was also wondering there, building on that idea of dress up, which again really resonated within what you were speaking about. I love the idea that it isn't object or style specific. And I liked the idea that you think of it as something that elevates the individual. You also spoke about um the sense of dressing up as an experience um, and that linked in my mind to the idea of ritual or routine mm-hmm. um, which I know is something that again might connect back to your work with beauty I read um, in preparation talking to you today I read an article that's about your Sunday night routine oh which I want to put into practice right away <laughs> <laughs> Too much. I loved it and I wondered if that's something again that um, builds in your kind of relationship to beauty and clothing this sense of its incorporation into your into your life as well as your personality yeah, and I, you know, thinking about it, it's, you know, when I think about the ritual of beauty for me, not just even in terms of skincare and, but also in terms of my hair um, over the years and in terms of dressing up and then in terms of my writing, it's something that I, I like it. I prefer it when it takes its time. I feel I have something better comes out of that ritual when time is taken with it so you know with my skincare certainly you know it does seem quite laborious I guess for some people you know to have you know eight steps of different things that you put on your face every night and and so on and so forth or 10 steps but for me I know that I know the results I get out of that and that's that ritual is quite it's quite soothing but also it's quite results driven in many ways and I think Mm. same that same sort of mentality applies to when I you know dress up if I have somewhere to go to I really have to think about I'm not one of those people who there's a sort of big event then I suddenly just throw anything on and I just leave the house and it's all so wonderful and so so fabulous and so on I'm not that sort of person I have to think about it otherwise I feel completely out of sorts I have to take my time and be and really think about it and I know the difference in terms of how I feel when I don't think about it I do feel completely out of sorts it's the same with my work if I've rushed something you know, there's some writers who perhaps they can just think, right, I'm going to write this piece about X, Y, Z, and I'm going to do it in 24 hours. I don't work like that. You know, I have to think about my opening sentence and I have to turn it around in my head. I I, I, can, I always say I compare myself to, I don't drink, but I, I know that wine taster, you know, they, they swish it around in their mouth 
mm. for a while, um, you know, when they're sort of tasting wine and so on. And I do that with words. I have to swish it. I swish and I swish and I swish and I swish before I can start writing. So I'm not a turnaround in any part of my life. I don't just turn things out. And, you know, that sort of thread runs through quite a lot of things that I do. I think that's fascinating to hear the way that that carries through from your kind of personal dress sense through to your professional perspective and approach and angle on life. So I absolutely loved your um, object choice. And again, thank you so much for the level of thought and the different kind of myriad ways you could read it. Do you think that your work influences the way you dress and your relationship to clothing? You just kind of described there the way that it perhaps reflects the way that you actually physically get dressed. But that level of thought that you've just said that you put into getting dressed, does that relate, say, to uh, the meetings that you've got during the day or which publication you're working with? I think now it's I think now it's fairly consistent. Um, you know, I don't necessarily put that level of thought into sort of everyday dressing, which is why I have so many dresses in my wardrobe now because they're just easy. I don't have to think about them. Um, you know, you put on the dress and it's fine. You know, you don't have to think, oh, what skirt goes with this top or whatever. You know, so I, that's why I have so many dresses in my wardrobe. So in terms of how I dress for where I am it's it's pretty consistent but I think in many ways even if you don't think you are influenced by um your profession in terms of how you dress I think you 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 can't help but be influenced by it I think there's just certain elements of it that do inform the way you you dress perhaps it's because you're exposed to other people you know working within that industry you're exposed to people who also love fashion and also express their love of fashion in different ways and I think that you can be inspired and influenced by that even very very subtly without realizing it so I don't know if I'd be arrogant enough to say no you know my profession and and people I work with don't um, influence um how I dress I think to a degree I think I'm surely you know even on a subconscious level you're influenced by it but it's not the main driver that's fascinating yeah um main driver um hmm. yeah it can't be I can't afford for it to be the main driver I have to have a sense of self um that is um that is self-contained in many hmm. And then all the other things are extras, but no, it cannot. I can't afford for it to be the main driver. But again, that's that prioritization, perhaps, of of using and having a voice. So taking a leap back, I loved your story about the platforms and the trench coat um, <laughs> and the climbing frame. So that might perhaps be the answer to this, or maybe we're going to go even earlier. But I'd be interested to hear what's your earliest memory that you're willing to share that involves clothing. My earliest memory. So. <laughs> So when we were, so I was born um, in London, St. Thomas's, and, um, but at the age of, I think it was five or six, we moved um, to Nigeria for a few years. And I remember um, that my, my mother would sort of travel back and forth and then, you know, and then we would, you know, come here for the summers and then you know, and then go back again and, and so on. It was quite sort of, I don't know, we were sort of all over the place during that time, to be honest. And then I remember 
once we were in my um in my father's hometown which is sort of outside it's outside of lagos which is the main capital mm-hmm. the original capital and i remember having this dress on which was a kind of i'm sure it was a sort of pale green victoriana something or another kind of uh-huh. over the top ridiculous dress my mother used to see that's another thing as well i think the idea of dress up probably came from my mother my mother liked to dress my sister and i up quite mm. a, you know we were wearing heels very early on because my mother be- believed it's you know really good for your posture so mm. we would always dress up my mother loved clothes for herself but also for her daughters and she you know she would dress us up so I think my love of dress up has probably come from that so I've never really known that sort of um you know weekend dressing is quite difficult for me because I'm just like okay I'm not quite sure how to do this but anyway going back to that so that dress that I was wearing in my father's hometown um was essentially a party dress um and I remember an aunt or someone saying, "Oh, are you sure you should be wearing that?" Isn't your, you know, I don't know if your your um, your mom, you know, your mum's coming. I don't think she'll be very happy with this because we were with my my grandmother's, and I was like, "Oh, it'll be fine." You know, I was probably five or six, and I remember wearing this dress, and it was literally dragging in the dirt, and I just. Uh-huh. I just enjoyed that whole thing. I loved the juxtaposition of this really over the top, you know, party dress dragging in the dirt. I just kind of, mm. it was quite rebellious of me, I suppose. And I did get into huge trouble afterwards, but <laughs> that's probably my earliest memory of something really fashion. And I knew it was a really fabulous dress. So driven by statement, but also in a way it relates back to your object choice because it also sounds like driven by kind of the physicality of the sense of wearing the dress and the dragging of it, which I think it yeah. reminded me of what you said about dresses and dancing. So I love yeah. it. This is partly um, professional mining on my part as a fashion curator, um, but I'm really interested in fashion collections and museums being able to collect makeup. I think it's really important to represent beauty um, within fashion collections. Yeah. It can be slightly treacherous because of the kind of uh, perishable nature of the products, but it's something that I'm keen to do. Is there a contemporary product or brand that you think we should be collecting to represent the now in beauty? So for me, I think it's 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 about you know certain brands that change what um, what the beauty industry looked like. So for me, you know, brands like Glossier have completely changed the beauty industry. Brands like The Ordinary completely changed the beauty industry. But I wouldn't necessarily, interestingly enough, I wouldn't necessarily automatically think of those as let's collect those. I would think about certain um, collaborations that I think are quite interesting. Mm. You know, off the top of my head, like the Pat McGrath and Star Wars collection, um, that was a limited edition. And I I just thought that was really fascinating and it was so odd to me and quite strange to me. So I have some of those palettes that I haven't even touched, I haven't opened at all, and I would hold on to those I'd never use those I'd, I'd completely hold on to those and then there's a collection very limited collection that um Longcom did with um Matt and Marcus I thought mm. that was interesting um there was a, a wonderful Joe Malone fragrance um launch 
that um, had, I think it was Charlotte Stockdale actually that that did this collaboration with um, Joe Malone, and the bottle was so different. It, I think it had splodges of paint and and so on and so forth. It was so different to the Joe Malone bottles. Um, and I just found that really, really interesting. So things like that for me are quite interesting in terms of packaging. Nas did, uh, you know, collaboration with Erdem. So that fashion and mm. fashion and beauty collabs, um, I always think are, are really, they're really, really interesting. Limited editions, I think, are great ones to um, to collect. Mm, absolutely and I really like the idea that those collaborative collections they represent a kind of intersection between beauty and other kind of cultural contexts so for instance whether that's Star Wars and films or as you said a more explicit link to um, the fashion uh, fashion brand or industry also with the Joe Malone example it represented perhaps the opportunity for change or rebellion within a brand's iconography galvanizing stuff (laughs) yes so then I think for my last question, um, I'm really interested in where is wardrobe? So an item or a selection of clothing that's been collected to deliberately commemorate a person and their place in time. Um, and this is something I want to increasingly build at LCF. If we were to try and capture you for our collections, what item would you want to be remembered by? You know, I, I find, found this question very, very difficult because can kind of, can a dress, can a, an item, you know, encapsulate a whole being? Can it? You know, that's the question I was asking me. Do I have anything that I think to myself, that is what I want to be remembered by? I'm not sure if it's an item of clothing. The one thing that I do collect um, are magazines. Mm. I really love magazines. Apps, I mean, it's ridiculous. Every time I move house, you know, I'm sure that the... Um, moving company they're all cursing me because you know it's it's heavy boxes of thousands of magazines and I don't know maybe maybe a bunch of magazines maybe (laughs) yeah no I love that I think that's fantastic I think you could definitely be represented and by a collection of magazines and I love the fact that they'd have twofold relevance both that personal connection and perhaps a kind of professional log in some cases of your own work Absolutely. I think it's, yeah, I think it's both of those. And I just, you know, I love, I love print. I still love print. You know, um, I, we're in the digital age and I completely embrace that, but I absolutely love print. I, I love the, um, the power, the power of it to sort of represent what's happening right now. And it's so tangible and, and that for me never sort of goes away. Um, so, yeah. So I think more so than an actual item of, clothing I think um stacks and stacks of um magazines probably would be would be my choice brilliant choice and it makes it sound like you're in the perfect profession thank you so much for joining us and I feel like I could talk to you for hours so thank you for all your amazing um, and personal perspectives that you shared and thank you all for listening Mm -hmm.